Network Podcast. My name's Dave Swillam. Let's get ready to hustle. Welcome back to the Waking Up From Work podcast. You're listening to episode 70. I said episode. Episode, yeah. That's fine. Episode. (laughs) Fancy. Episode 72 today. This is your host, Dave Swillam. And uh, really happy to to have you guys hanging out on on Instagram Live. Everyone uh, listen to the podcast on the platforms on Tuesday. Uh, Today is going to be another one where I'm a little bit selfish here. As an audio engineer, I love to talk to other engineers, musicians, and, and things like that. But I promise for those of you out there in the creative community that are not just engineers, we're going to talk about a whole bunch of things that's worth your time to hang out. But uh, for those of you that don't know him, I've got Kellen... Uh, I can't say any of it, dude. <laughs> Kellen, You're worried about the last name. Kellen Williams. Um, <laughs> Helen Keller. I've got... Yeah. Um, I've got Kevin Billingsley. There it is. All right. Not, not nailed it. I got the name right off the bat. It was just all like the uh, the pre work that I had to do there. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you that don't know Kevin, I have. Uh, I was telling him I've I've paid attention to his work for quite some time because a lot of my friends way back in the day were tracking with him back in in high school, and I just kind of kept up with him as I went after my audio engineering life here. And uh, Kevin, uh, if you're for where he's located, he's out of the greater Portland, Maine area. He has his own site, uh, which we'll have at the end too. And also does some work with, do you do all your work out of Halo or you have two different spots and bounce around or? Um, I would say 95% is at Halo just because it's the right environment. I have everything I need here. But, you know, obviously there's certain situations where it makes more sense for a band to record a specific element of their record somewhere else. Um, So it's not uncommon for that to happen, but I would say for the most part, yeah, it's all here. Okay. So working out of the Halo Studios and uh, also the guitarist for Too Late the Hero, if you've never heard them awesome band i like i don't don't take this as a downside if you don't like it but i was listening to them and i got i get uh like under oath if under oath listened to a bunch of pop punk yeah i can see that how do you feel about that that? that's a good thing that's that would be a compliment in my book but i always am careful with like what i say a band has a vibe of because you never know you know yeah i mean i i think under oath especially in the later years Definitely a huge influence. A lot of thrice in that. Yes. That's probably my most influential band that I've ever, you know, listened to growing up. Um, and then, you that. know, handful of pop punk bands here and there. Awesome. Well, Kevin, do you want, like, for people that don't know your work or, or don't know what, what you're up to, obviously, I was just talking to you earlier about a pretty exciting project that you got to be on, but do you want to just tell people you know, your background or, or more about who you are and, uh, we can tackle that later. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I've been doing, I've been doing this for more than half of my life since I was 15 and, you know, doing it like most people do when they first start out, um, doing it in my parents' basement with a very 
minimal setup. My first board I found at a pawn shop where half the channels didn't work. Um, do you do like tape them off? Oh tape yeah. Off what channels you can't use. Go yeah, around but that it. All, even that took me like a year to figure out because I'd keep by default going back to the same channels. Um, yeah. and it wouldn't work, but you know, like anything else, you know, recording a lot of my friends bands in high school, not doing a very good job of it. None of it was good. And, you know, I did that for three or four years. And then I joined too late the hero and our singers, older brother, Josh is a like top tier, like world class producer, engineer, mixer. He's done everything. He, he worked under Andy Wallace back in the day. If you don't know, he uh, Andy Wallace did pick up 10 records on your shelf and Andy Wallace probably mixed seven of them. Yeah. So Josh obviously recorded all of too late the hero stuff. So I kind of talked to him like, you know, I've been trying to do this for a long time and you know, I don't really know what I'm doing. So he was kind enough to kind of take me under his wing and, you know, let me learn from him. Um, so I spent a lot of time in New York doing projects with him more, just kind of like watching how he works and asking questions along the way. There's a, there's an expression that one of my favorite uh, sports talk guys was talking about geniuses where when you're around them, all you can really hope to do is sap every bit of wisdom you can from them. And that's what Josh was for me. Um, So he was definitely very essential in my growth as a musician, as an engineer, as a producer, um, and just as a person too. Um, So, you know, opened up a much better studio still at my parents' house. Um, they were cool enough to let me have all sorts of grungy bands in there. Hell yeah. Uh, God bless band dad and mom. Yep. That's you know? it. That's exactly it. I, I, um, I used to play in my garage and my dad, like, so I was in a hardcore band. My yep. dad, no joke would come down with a, with a plate of bruschetta, like fresh bruschetta. Yeah. <laughs> so you're, you're like sitting there like, you know, like broing down and then like your dad comes down. Hey, does anyone want to like you're an awesome dad like that like that's pretty amazing for you to allow me to just like destroy your household and also bring some fresh bruschetta down so shout out to band mom and dad you know i love that (laughs) my parents were pretty cool i never got any bruschetta which kind of sucks um (laughs) most of the time it was when a band leaves at the end of a day especially if i was doing like a heavier band my mom just being like why do they have to scream why do they have to do that They're going to hurt themselves. Like, mom, don't worry about it. Um, But yeah, so I operated like that for probably four or five years. And I worked with a lot of great bands down there. Vanna, Cruel Hand, those were all, uh, those were bands that I worked with down there. Super proud of what I did. But eventually it gets to a point where you kind of outgrow the, your environment that you're in. Yep. And I was getting, you know, messages from a lot of bands who weren't going to be comfortable going to a studio at, in some dude's basement of his parents' house. Right. So right around that time is when uh, I came to Halo, where my friend John is another producer engineer, and he's worked here for a lot longer than I have. And I talked to him because my initial plan was to build a studio. And I mean, I'm sure you know what an investment that can be. Uh, yeah. So he was like, before you drop like six figures or seven on a studio, he's like, we have all this shit here. Just come do it here. Right. Um, so I, 
my first day ever recording anything here was January 1st of 2015. And I've been here ever since. Tons of different, like very good influences that you mentioned. And then like definitely like a, a huge Vanna and Cruel Hand fan. So, so even, uh, even out of the basement working with awesome artists for some time. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, you know, not to toot my own horn, but it's one of those things where, you know, there's that expression that it's, it's not the tool, it's the fool. It's I've, I've seen a lot of bands go into incredible studios and come out with garbage. And I've seen a lot of bands go into like squalor studios and come out with something that's ripping. So it's, it's, it's more about who you work with than where you work, I think. But if you can get both of those things lined up, it's perfect. Right. Yeah, man. Um, I talk about that quite a bit because a lot of people like obviously being on a podcast and hanging out for a while here, will ask like how to start a podcast. Yeah. And, um, I mean, that's way less of an investment, way, way less barrier to entry than a studio, but still at the same time, it's like, I think I was just saying the other day is like, like make it, make it a real problem first before it's like a problem in your head. Like, like you kind of think like, I just can't do it because I don't have that thing. And then you just don't do it where it's like, make it a problem that student that, that certain bands approaching you are too, you know, in a different way that you have to leave that space before it's a thing. Cause like you could have, right. you could have spent five years thinking like, I can't, uh, I can't work with these bands like Vanna and cruel hand and these other awesome bands that you've worked with because I'm in my parents' basement, but right. you didn't think that you just started doing it. And then like, whatever works works. And then, you made it a problem first before you solve the problem. And like, that's the way to do it is like, don't worry if you're, you know, your audio setup's not completely perfect. You don't have the six figure studio that you have. It's like, you got to just get going. And then like, yep. to your point, like to become that person over the hardware, that's like how it happens is really just yeah. the investment of like what's happening versus what you're getting. Right. And that's, that's a, such a huge thing too, is, you know, when you're young, I remember the first time I ever went to like, a big professional studio and it was so overwhelming because just the sheer amount of gear, let alone like what the gear was, but the amount of it, it it's hard to not be like, I can't ever do this. Like, yeah. At that point, um, sorry about that. Uh, at that point you learn over time that it's like a small acquirement. A lot of credit card debt goes into it, but yeah, you know, I look at where I started and what I had, for stuff that I don't even use anymore. And now I look at all the stuff I have and I'm like, where did this all come from? And it just, it just takes time. It's like anything else. Like it's, it's a small investment at a time and investing in the important things first, which have all, honestly changed over the last 10, 20 years. So the kind much. of gear that was an absolute necessity 20 years ago might not be as much now. So, you know, adapting to that as well is huge. Yeah. Yeah, no, for real. I, th- I think it's, um, like being very intentional about what it is that you're getting to solve what you're trying to do at the moment. I think yeah. um, that just helps a lot to not like we, we had a, a, an episode earlier on here with someone that has like a creative shared space in a live sound events company. And the first thing that he did was by alone to get into, to get started on anything yep. to have even like older used gear to just be able to perform what he was doing. And then he, got into a mode of like just buying like as you go to help himself sustain financially. But I, um, I've tried to be more that way because I'm sure that 
you're probably the same way dude there's no doubt that when i see that gear i want like i want it you know what i mean oh, i don't yeah. not want it it's just right. about like finding like that um self-control and like that discipline of like what do i really need to make this happen and sometimes it's legit just an interface and a microphone in a in a room that doesn't have bad acoustics and it can happen you know yeah so that's like, that's the whole thing and, and you know that translates anywhere like if you get you know you get a good guitar player with a 50 dollars setup that he got at a pawn shop he'll make it sound like a million bucks but you can have an okay or mediocre guitar player playing through a $25,000 rig and it still sounds like shit. Right. There's it, and it all circles back to, you know what I said before it's, it's who's behind the gear and less what the gear is. Hell yeah. So Kevin, I don't want to, um, I definitely don't want to forget about kind of that recent news that you popped up on. Uh, I had posted this before the episode came out, but for those that might not have seen it, uh, Kevin recently just worked on the, newest lamb of god record that just came out that is like 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 dude you've worked with so many good artists so i don't want to overshadow any of those because there's actually a lot of records that you've produced that like i'm actively listening to on a day-to-day but that has to be one of those bands where you're like this is such a known band that this definitely is like that has to be such a a big win for you oh totally yeah dude that's got to feel awesome yeah. And, and again, that comes back to my friend Josh that I was telling you about, um, just being the great guy that he is and, you know, helping me get these opportunities that I might not have gotten otherwise. Um, I've been fortunate enough to kind of know the Lamb of God guys for a long time. So too late to hero the first, first and only, uh, record deal we ever got their old drummer, Chris and their old drummer and their old manager, um, Basically, we're we're gifted an imprint label, and I'm kicking myself for not remembering who it was an imprint of. It was it was it was a higher up label. They basically were like, use all of our resources, use whatever we have, but just you know, put your own name on it, sign the bands you want to sign, and you know, we'll kind of collab on it from there. So, cool. because Josh, I think this most recent record is the fifth or sixth or seventh uh, Lamb of God record that he has produced consecutively. So they've had a working relationship for well over a decade. So Too Late to Hero was, you know, the first band on that label. So we we did a little bit of touring with them back in 2012. You know, kind of, you know, if they ever came through Portland or if they came through New England at all, like we'd go out and hang out with them for a little bit. But it was, you know, it was pretty much that. And then on the new record, Josh hit me up. I was like, hey, I need another engineer on this. Um, we're doing it at Studio 606, which is, if anyone has ever seen the Sound City documentary or knows anything about it, that's the Foo Fighters studio uh, where they put the console. Oh, my God. Uh, that was in Sound City yep. in Van Nuys years ago. So they're still using it. It's still operational. Um, and backtracking before that, I skipped a part where they wanted to do uh, pre-production but they didn't want to do it the normal way they always do it. They wanted to, you know, try something different because, you know, regardless of what band you're in, if you're as deep into your catalog as Lamb of God is, you need to find ways to change it up. Yep. So they had the idea of, well, let's do like getaway pre-production writing. So they came to Halo for a week 
week and a half, something like that, 10 days. And <laughs> it was Josh, uh, Willie Adler, and Mark Morton who came up. And it was basically a matter of them each dumping out their backpacks of riffs to Josh and being like, all right, let's assemble. Um, <laughs> so that was a su- super cool process to watch. What um, is that? Um, The way that you just said that made me think of uh, what's that robot that like comes together and they like say like assemble and they, like all the pieces come together to make it. I picture oh, tra- I'm picturing the riffs in my head, whatever it is, yeah. and all the the riffs come together, and then all of a sudden it makes the Lamb of God record, and like that's yep. how it happened. That's, that's it, pretty folks. much what it was. That's pretty much what it was. It was super cool to watch, and then I think they did another session of pre production in Virginia at Mark's house. He's got a pretty cool setup where they you know they ran through songs together because you know when they came up here it was you know MIDI drums and stuff like that. So they got a chance to flush it out as a band in Virginia. And then in August of last year, I think right now, this time last year, I was out there working on it. So we were at that studio for three weeks and we did guitars, bass and drums there. And then Josh and Randy did vocals elsewhere after I left. Dude, it was it was absolutely unreal, like high absolute highlight of my life. Definitely highlight of my career, bar none. Dude, um, that's too many different things that would be like a, a huge hard on for an engineer. Like that's too yeah. many different things at the same time. You know what I yes. mean? That studio, that band, this record, this yep. record being that further in. I mean, I think that that's a a thing in itself because like there's one thing to be part of uh, an earlier record with a band and then watch them for that long go on. Like right. that's one thing in itself. But also like yep. just like you're saying like this far in your catalog to it, it's almost like it's almost like a, a bold thing to do to even create that far in because you're like dude how the fuck do you keep making things and right. it's so hard to do yep. at least for me it would be when i'm envisioning it that that's yep. also like uh uh a statement in itself just to be that far in the catalog and be like here's something fresh it's still yeah. us but here's something fresh and here's a way that we just mix it up and like come out with that that's also like a uh, a thing I would say to be pumped up on because it's just a challenge, dude. That's like a, right. a thing that like all eyes are on that just the same as probably more than the first records. You know what I mean? It absolutely was. And you mentioned like just the layers of excitement being there, like w- the reason why I was there and where I was, it changed all the time because we were constantly going back and forth as far as the process goes. So we, uh, we started with guitars so we had two different setups going. Josh would be tracking a song on guitar with Willie and I'd be tracking one with Mark or vice versa. And we'd be trading stuff back and forth all the time. So you get caught up in that, but then you take a, you take a breath for five minutes and then you stop and realize where you are. Like, you know, there's a huge glass, like framed thing of the, the commemorative speech. I forget at which university uh, for some college that he gave. It's all laid out right there. Like the handwritten speech. And there's like, there's the little bass amp that's on the cover of the sound city documentary, just hanging out in the corner. And you just like, you look at the desk and you see all the, the signatures of the people who have come through there, like Stevie Nicks and Johnny cash. And it's like, it's insane to realize like the music that has been made through that, through that desk. It was, it was unreal. Yeah. Literally the piece of equipment before you do anything else, you're already like, I'm like sucking voodoo and energy out of this thing, you know, <laughs> that's what it felt like. And I feel like that was part of it too, just because 
like they were talking about with uh, with the pre-production, you know, they needed something different in the actual making of the record. And that was that was a cool thing. Like that's that's an experience that they're going to have that they, you know, that they can take with them forever. That I think was hugely influential on how that record came out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that probably for them gave them that mix up in uh, in vibe that 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 alone probably helped them create because like you're you're part of that environment. Right. Right. Yeah, that's huge. Oh, totally. I mean, like I, um, I don't know. I'm sure that you're the same way where like little things with like, even if, if someone tells me that the song is like a super somber mood or it's like, it's about some deep thing or like I I do all sorts of shit to mix things up to try to get the vibe right where like maybe the lights are all going to be off and we're going to have no lights for three days of tracking or maybe, um, we're only tracking at a certain time because, you know, people, I, I, just like you were saying in terms of like equipment versus the mind, I think that that's also relative to equipment ver- in, versus the vibe in space. Like, yeah. I, I think that having people so that they're in the right headspace where they were like, hey, we want to we mix things up because this is our seventh record or whatever. Yep. And then you put them in an environment and be like, hey, feel all this history, feel all this stuff around you. And like you are, you are the sum of, of literally an entire genre as a band. And then now feel all this rock and roll and feel all this like old pop, like just, this is all a part of this record. Yeah. That's like a way to like put them in the headspace to do the right thing for their art too. That's huge. And the, the example I always reference, um, whenever anybody asks, like, and we're talking about this sort of thing, uh, there's this band from Boston that I work with one of my all time favorite bands I've ever worked with. They're called Valley heart. Um, very good. They're so, so good on, dude. on their last full length that we did. The last song on the record is this super like creepy, dark, somber piano driven track. And the way I always envisioned it because, you know, music is art is subjective. Um, yeah. The track always struck me as, Kevin, the singer, uh, leaving himself a voicemail from beyond the next life, whatever you want to call it. That's always the vibe it hit me as. So we had to get the piano right, which was a whole day in and of itself. We like took like an old blanket that the keys player had and we kind of like taped it over the strings of the piano to get it to sound really dead and not great. Resting right on the strings. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So that so, so that when the the felts actually hit the strings, you didn't get that nice chime that you normally get from a piano. It was just like cardboardy, like fighting it, which helped. And then we got to vocals, and you know the rest of the record was done on this super bougie mic, like great setup. And when we did vocals for that song, it just wasn't working. It didn't fit the vibe. It didn't sound genuine. So there's this mic that we have. Uh, it's made by Placid Audio. It's called the Copperphone. Yeah. Relati- relatively cheap mic. Yep. Um, if you don't know what you're listening for, sounds like shit. Like it's meant to be. It sounds like an, an old effect. radio. Like, yeah, it's, that's it's exactly su- super it. notched out. Yeah. And yeah. it's either meant to be like an effectsy sort of mic or blended with a much nicer mic to give you a little more mid range, a little more, you know, uh, but all we did <laughs> is I got like every adapter I had and hooked that microphone up to my guitar wireless system. Okay. 
Like, because it's like XLR to quarter inch to eighth inch to get into the little pack. It was a nightmare. Uh, yeah. So we recorded that album in February of that year. We were running super late that night. It was probably like eight or nine o'clock. It was snowing out. We had been snowed in the night before. Uh, and I sent him out into behind the studio. There's a huge field, like hundreds and hundreds of feet um, with nothing around. So I sent him out there at night with the lights off in the cold while it was snowing with that microphone. And I pretty much just printed off the instrumental um, and put it in Dropbox so he could listen to it from his phone and then had the other wireless receiver in here and just had him run down the song from the field with that mic. And that was the one take only one we did. And that's what made it on the record. That is insane. It's it was so cool. And you can hear him like shivering, like trying to get through it. But it it was right for the song. Those are the stories that you don't know. But those are also the stories that make it so that something sounds like you just don't you try to listen to it. And you're like, how the fuck does it sound like this? And you have to try to figure out how it's happening. Yep. That those are the things that do that. Like. I remember um, I was in LA at one of the audio engineer conventions to like look at some of these awesome producers. And it actually, it was, uh, it was on one of the Stevie Nicks. It was on one of the songs for her. And it was, he was talking about how like they had done a bunch of takes and they had some like telephone that was in the studio that like was there when they bought the building and they never like hooked it up for service or like did anything with it. It was just like part of the building. And it had, really? never, it had never rung in their entire life. And during a vocal session for Stevie, it rang and they were all like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> what, what, that phone? Like, and it rang during this vocal take. She's like on fire. And so like they, he isolated it. And I wish I remembered which song it was. He isolated it. And in the back, you can hear the phone ringing. And oh like, you God. can't tell when you listen to the song, but like that is a part of that vocal take that right. just gives it, well, I don't know what it gave for like a mid-range boost or like it had some other rhythm that people dig or like whatever it was, but they let, they took that take and that is in that take for the song. Oh my and God. I was like, you would never like, you would never know that there's that's no wild. way to ever know that. And like, that's just the stuff that happens where you're like, you that's one of those times where like you look around the room, you're like, Oh shit, that fits like perfect. Yep. Did you mean to do, you know, it's yep, just like, that's exactly it. <laughs> we're that's sending exactly it. it. There was this uh there was this band, another band from New Hampshire, Massachusetts area, they're called Town Meeting, folk band, super talented, great guys. The first record I worked with them on, I wanted to track them live because I went to see them before like long before they came in the studio, and I was so blown away by how they sounded live. I was like, you're never gonna be able to like capture that vibe if you piece them out and do one at a time. It's never gonna happen. Yeah. Um and you know they i don't think they were like super stoked about the idea initially but i think that that vibe helped the record and there was one song in particular that was like a super like up tempo two and four kind of folk song that you know like 200 bpm just ripper front to back killing it but they weren't feeling it we spent like half a day on that song we ran i like rick rubined it in the live room um I had a couple buddies engineering in here while I was in the room with them, just working through all the songs. We went, through, we must have gone through thirty takes of that song before everyone just started banging their head against the wall. Okay, um, 
And their guitar player, Luke, was just hanging out in the corner, just, you know, trying to think to himself, like, figure out, like, what's missing, what's what's not working. Um, and he just starts strumming the chords real slow, just kind of working it out in his head. Okay. And I just kind of listened to him for a few minutes. And then I grabbed uh, I grabbed a snare drum and a couple of brushes. And I was like, just stay with me. And I just started, like, just doing, like, swung eighth notes on the snare drum. and they all followed along and i think we got it in like two or three takes and it was a whole it was a whole different song at that point like we dropped the tempo by like 70 and all of a sudden what was this super up tempo like party folk song was now this super like down tempo introspective song it was insane whoa it's just it's little stuff like that that it's it's lightning in a bottle moments that's all it is yeah it's like a series of that over and over and over again of like how do we capture lightning like straight up that's yep. nuts. Yeah. Uh, one question that I, I wanted to ask only because one of our listeners had asked me before we had this episode, before we run away from the Lamb of God thing, and you had said that they had worked with the same producer on quite a bit, so maybe this is the answer. He's a longtime fan of them, and he asked, how do they get such a consistent sound? Like, Do they have themselves a big piece in engineering or production in some way that they know what they want in some way or have they worked with some other piece that makes it consistent along the way but he's asking and i agree with this their 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 sound regardless of changing things has been so consistent over time to like be that signature sound did you see something in the project that gave you the feel of how they control that or manage that um i think it's a little bit of of the of both of the things that you mentioned i think it's a combination of working with josh because josh has a sound um he's very good at getting that sound but it's also Lamb of God, like, and no matter how you try to twist it, like when we were doing pre-production here, they didn't have their amps with them. We just use what we had and they use all Mesa stuff. We had a dual rectifier here, but neither of them use that. Um, But as soon as they start playing and you dial it in a little bit, you realize like anybody else, like, Oh, it's just in their hands. That's how it is. Like Mark and Willie's tone is so different where Willie is like super articulate and like very like clear and precise. And Mark is just a freight train with his right hand to the point. Like we had a, we had a few riffs that we, we tracked on a guitar with an Evertune on it. And Mark picks so hard. He managed to knock an Evertune out of tune. (laughs) And like, that's their sound. Like that's their whole thing. Regardless of you know how they try to change it up, it's it's always going to sound like them. And they they made a a pretty concentrated effort, especially in the drum department, because this was their first record they did with Art to yeah. to let Art be who he was. I mean, he's he's an absolutely world class metal drummer. You know, they made an effort to be like, let's not do the same old thing. Like, let's not let's not just do what the old drummer did, and you know all that. But there were certain things that, you know, were very collaborative in getting the sound because from what I understand on a lot of their older records, Mark and Willie's tone is very different. So, you know, you'd have each one on one side or if they were doubled to just be like a quad of them um, where Mark's is very like huge and slamming and like very gushy and Willie's is super articulate. Like I said, this time what was super sick is we used 
both of their amps blended through two cabs and everything that they played went through that rig. So it was a combination oh, of both of okay. their tones. So Willie, Willie's tone, it was both of their tones, but Willie's tone, I think it was a Mesa triple crown. And then Mark's tone is the Mesa Mark four. So signal was split into both of those amps. And then I think it was in a two Bogner four by 12. So everything they played was a combination of both of their tones, which I think, which wow. I think made it a lot cleaner. Um, because, you know, if you're, if you have two guitar players with two wildly different guitar tones and you have to quad them up, like they double everything. So there's two, there's left and right of guitar player, a left and right of guitar player B. Yeah. A lot of the time that can just turn into a wall of sound. And when you're like as riffy as they are, that can get washy real quick. So I think this very was a super cool way to fast. just have everything get doubled left and right. And the tone was equal. It didn't feel lopsided. So I thought that was a really cool, really cool way to do it. And then as far as the drums go, <laughs> I've I've never seen a drummer who hits as hard as art does. Um, oh no, dude, it was why. And I'm like anyone who's ever worked with me, especially drummers. Um, knows that the first thing I'm going to do is tell them to hit harder, hit their symbols less hard because everyone punishes their symbols and just barely like tippity taps on their snare drum. Um, so I'm yeah. always on drummers asses about that. I think for the first like few songs on the lamb record that art was tracking, I think we went through like two to four snare drum heads per song. What are you talking Because he'd just be about? cranking through it and you'd hear it in real time be like gah, gah, goo, goo, where the snare head was just like nope I'm done I'm giving up. How does he play live? So dude? he uses I forget what it's called and it's like Kevlar. It, yeah, it, Is it a Kevlar it's, head? The, it's the Kevlar head and after a while Josh oh was just God. like I can't keep changing drum heads we're never going to finish so they tried Art's head that he always uses and it hung in there that was the only head that could keep up with art so that's what we wound up using it wow. was wild yeah i mean that's a good thing yep i mean it, it's a good that's a good problem to have i guess because i'm with you like it's it definitely sucks when you don't get the full sound yeah and that's i yeah. feel like a lot of well, younger bands struggle with that too because they they think there's some kind of studio black magic that happens that's going to turn it from meh into amazing and i've actually had bands hit me up and before they come into the studio excuse me they tell me they're like so we're not like as tight or good as we need to be so they were like whatever you need to do on your end to make it sound like top-notch professional like this and that like do all of it and i'm just like you have our permission, like no, no worries. Creatively, yeah. like we're cool. And I'm with like, that. what you have to yeah. understand is there is a of of studio black magic. There is a finite level to that. There's black magic. There is. It, it exists out there. Like if you're not like a, a Harry Potter fan or something like right. that, there's magic. But like there is an extent of the power of that magic to a certain point where I can use vocal line or melodyne all day. Right. But like if the line sucks, then it just sucks, but it's in time and tune. Like that's it. That's, and I tell singers that all so the time that you can do because vocals are especially tricky because with a guitar player, a bass player, drummer, if they fuck something up, it's easy enough to just be like, to laugh it off because you know, their hand slipped or whatever. But when a vocalist fucks something up, it's much more personal because they made that with their face and it's, 
a lot <laughs> harder to like laugh it off. It feels very personal as it should. So if yeah. a singer's getting hung up on certain things, every once in a while I have to remind them of of some things matter less than others. Like if they're starting to get spent and they're but if they're in the headspace and they get a take of like a verse or a chorus that's that makes me feel something, I yes. don't care as much if it's out of time or out of tune because I can fix that. There's no plug-in to inject feel into a vocal take. It doesn't exist. Couldn't say and it that's, better. That's what it comes down to. Yep. I believe it. But but yeah. that's what I had to and, explain to that band is I was like, there is a finite limit to what I can do with that stuff. Like I can take I can take a I can take a bad band and make them sound okay. I can take an okay yep. band and make them sound pretty good. I can take a great band and make them sound on top of the world, but I can't make a meh band into a hundred percent. It just it won't happen. Yeah. So it's it's wild that yeah, they, it's like, they uh, have the self awareness to be like we are we are not as up to snuff as we should be. So take it from there. That was I never thought that would be a call that I would get. That's yeah. I think I mean obviously I naturally land in that issue, but it's but that's a lot of self awareness yeah. from them to be like we're very aware that we're not as right. good. So we're asking you this. I guess that's better though because then you didn't land in a situation where you're like. Oh shit! Like, what am I going to do right now? Right, like, this is and, a problem, and, that, and that's what I told them. Know? And we, so we set aside like X amount of time. They were like, "This, this is the conversation on every record." They're like, um, "How much time do you think it'll take to do X amount of songs?" And I'll tell them, yep. and they'll go, "I think we can do it in half of that." And I was like, "Of course you do." Um, so yeah. <laughs> I told that band that hit me up. I was like, "Let's, like, this is the amount of time you want to book. That's totally cool." We're going to get done whatever we get done. I'm not going to rush through stuff to get bullshit takes just so we get more of them. That's so right. what should have taken maybe a like probably a day because it was only it was an EP. Um, what should have taken a day to get drums done was like two and a half because he was right. The drummer was not up to snuff, but I was like, cool. Let's work on this. Here's what you can do. Here's why this part works. Here's why this part doesn't. Here's how you can set your kit up to make yourself be able to hit things harder and easier and not be struggling. Cause he was like, his hi hat was like level with a snare drum and he couldn't get any leverage on it. And I was like, there's things we can do about that. So it took longer. Sure. We got less done, but what we did get done was way fucking better. Yeah. I mean, I think of, I always think about, uh, did you ever see the the episode in South Park with Randy Marsh where he does the, um, what is it like the feeling good on a Wednesday and he yeah. like, it shows pro tools and like, he's like, Oh, I just go right here. <laughs> he just hits, he hits the hotkeys dude. And all of a sudden it sounds like, um, yeah. oh, I forget what the actual song, but it sounds like exactly like yeah. it, it starts beating like crazy. I was like, my friends asked me, like, is that what happens? It was like, kind of like <laughs> on a much smaller scale some, yeah sometimes yeah like sometimes i'm like holy shit i can't believe that that ended up being this right. thing like that's kind of rad and then other times i'm like sitting there and i'm like i cannot flex enough to try to get this to nope. happen like there's nothing that nope. i have to be cool right yep. now you know so and that was that was the biggest change yeah. that when i when i went from basement studio at my parents house to halo obviously my price went up because now i'm renting a studio that i don't own and there are other costs right. involved with it and that scared a lot of bands off 
But what it also did is it separated the level of bands that I was working with and like I'll work with literally anybody. Like I just love doing what I do. I don't care what genre it is. I don't care who it is. Like I love doing all of it, but I noticed that the bands who started coming to work with me once I leveled up were a lot more prepared, a lot more understanding of what was involved in the process. And I think it goes to show. So my buddy, John, who's another engineer here, he said it to me when I first came on board, he was like, you don't ever want to be the guy that somebody works with because you're the cheapest. You want to be the guy that that somebody works with because they love what you do. And that, and a lot of those bands kind of got separated. And I get that like, you know, we can have a whole other discussion of like the state of music and money and all that stuff. But if there's one thing I've ever found to be true when it comes to any kind of, especially music, but almost any kind of art, if you aren't willing to invest in what you're doing, don't expect anybody else to like yep. you. Can't, you can't sit and like nickel and dime your recording process and then get pissed when you get no sales, no streams, nothing like that. Like there is value in what you're doing. And the more you put into it, the more you get out of it. And that's a mistake. A lot 100%. of young bands make, they want to go with understandable, like young bands don't have any money. Like, a lot, of, a lot of bands don't have any money right now. Um, yeah. But it's it happens all the time where you know, when a, when a band first hits me up, they're like, this is what we want to do. This is how much we have to do it. And it's usually like most of the time it's stretching it pretty thin. What I always hit them with is, okay, so not breaking your budget, this is what we can do with that. Like we can do 10 like half-assed rush through them songs, or we can do five bangers with what you have. Like, yep. and, and that's a different way of looking at it that I don't think a lot of people do. Um, but it's important. It's huge, especially these days where a lot of people don't have the attention span to listen to a whole, uh, a whole record these days. Like, that's why you see so many bands putting out single after single or like EPs sequentially, stuff like that is it's there's because of technology, because, you know, artists can record wherever they are. Anyone can put music on Spotify, on Apple Music, on YouTube. There's more music out there now than there ever has been. So you need to have a reason for them to like, hey, look over here. Um, Yep. So I think that's the trend a lot of it's going in. So, you know. Dude, so, so many points off of what all that string of what you just said, like tons of points there. Like, first of all, for anyone out there that's in all these different creative fields, because we have a lot of people that are not audio engineers, and I always promise them that where there's things that you can get from it, this is a prime point right here. If you are the creative working, creative living, you definitely never, no one out there should ever want to be that person that's the the race to the bottom in terms of price point. And that's not saying that when you're starting that you shouldn't be priced low or even do free work. Definitely, like I love free work is such a big part of how I got better. But but it should never be this driving point where like if you see that you are always competing on price, you have to do something to get out of there because because it's just not where you want to be. It's never going to yield the best creative part for you, like in fulfillment for you, because you're not being chosen for that reason. And that 
kind of yep. sucks and it robs away from you and it robs away from them too because they're not even trying to do the best thing for their art they're just trying to get the best yep. price and inevitably they're probably going to be unhappy at some point and they're probably going to change it up so like that's that's one takeaway from that is is don't be the person that's a race to the bottom don't feel bad about being free or low rates to start and that's not what i'm saying at all i'm just saying you don't want to live in that zone and then with that separation that's also like from the artist standpoint, that's also not a bad thing either because you need to be working relative to like where you're at too. And that's a natural separator right there in terms of price point, because, you know, definitely right now, obviously artists, there's a lot of people hurting right now, no doubt. But also like uh, the, the industry's changed quite a bit, but that means two things. That means that it's easier to be in the game it also means that there's a lot of people in the game that are spending less because they're more indie instead of backing. And that changes different things. But those price points will also separate kind of like maybe who you should even be at because there's certain, um, you know, there's certain studios where like I, I'm, I'm also in a band and I think that we keep getting better. But like I'm also pretty aware too that we might not be at a point where I should be at a certain studio because maybe we're not as tight as we need to be yep. to get the product that we're supposed to get for that price point. So I shouldn't be there yep. yet. And that naturally separates it too, because I'm also not at a point where the traction's there enough, uh, that that, uh, price point is, is worth it too, to get to those certain different spots. But for the artists in terms of like an investment, what Kevin said about that is also true of like, think about any other thing that you're doing when you're thinking about taking photos when you're thinking about taking videos when you're getting your audio recorded when you're doing graphic design or whatever it is an emblem a logo whatever you're doing and you're trying to do that for something think about that with anything else if you go to home depot and you're trying to build something and you buy the shittiest cheapest shittiest board that you possibly can you're probably going to skateboard and fall off of that fucking thing like <laughs> right away on it. And like, it might've worked to do the thing, but like, you're going to throw it yep. out. It's like kind of the same thing where like, be prepared. Sometimes like, I, I think, um, I won't, I won't lie for this show, this podcast. I had no idea what this was going to be. And I had our, um, our album art was made on, uh, I think it was Fiverr. Really? And, like I, I, yeah, I'm actually cool. I'm actually cool with my art, but I had to be prepared to get a shit sandwich <laughs> with that because I spent shit sandwich yeah. rate and uh, you know, like maybe at some point I'll change it, but I, I've been fairly cool with it, I think, but you get what you pay for in literally everything. Yep. That's not going to change for anything that you do in life. There's nowhere that you can escape it, including here, mm -hmm. even though you have people that are passionate about music where they will do stuff for free their whole life. You just have to know that people that are trying to make a living out of it that are literally like scholars are studying every single day when they wake up at 6 a.m. with a cup of coffee. Those people are at a certain spot that 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 you have you get what you pay yep. for with that. That's it. You know, and then in terms of uh, not to be too gallivanty <laughs> or long winded here, but I just saw something recently, Kevin, with the new music industry that obviously has changed so much over my time where there is more content out than ever before, which is awesome. And it's a plus side because that means that anyone that has $20 or even free in some instances can get their music distributed around the entire yep. world 
to every single person in the entire world. That's never happened in history of time. Right. And it's ridiculous that if I grew up in the 50s, who the hell would I have had to know to be able to start learning recording? Yep. I would have had to like know some random person. I, it just would have been a thing. Like I, I actually would have had to take like electrical engineering. Like it just right. would have been yeah. a thing, right? I'm able to do what I can do because of this time. Right. So I'm, I'm always optimistic about what's happening now. What that also means is there's so much of a sea that you're swimming in. There's such a big sea. The water level has gone yep. up. You know, you're swimming in so much that you also do need to make that investment if you're serious about what you're doing because you have to be the better fish with that sea. I don't know if that's like a terrible analogy that I came up with or not. No, that makes total there's sense. There's a lot of content pumping in, you know? That may, No, that makes total and, sense. Um, and it's... It's like I said before, you, you have to have, you have to have a reason to stand out. Like there are plenty of bands. There are enough bands that are, you know, putting out subpar music and investing in all the wrong places. Um, and that, that's another side of this too, not to go off on a 25th side street. No, here, go for it. But I like it. If you have a certain amount of money to invest in something that's fine. Like nobody expects everyone to be, you know, Jeff Bezos with their, with their bank account, what they're spending it on, but yeah. put that money in the right place and know what things are more important than others. Like there's, there's like a, I keep going to like old adages, but there's a thing where it's like the best mastering engineer won't fix a shitty mix. The best mix engineer won't, fix a shitty recording and yep. the best recording won't fix a shitty song. So if you're going to invest all of your money in one place, like hire a producer, don't just go to a, a nice studio and record, find someone that's going to make sure that the songs themselves are as good as they can be because nobody has ever listened to a shitty song and gone, well, I want to listen again because the mix sounded good, but it happens yeah. all the time where like some of the best songs in the world have, dreadful mixes but it doesn't matter oh, because yeah. the song is the song is what it should be and i feel like too many people get hung up on the wrong things and investing in the wrong places and i feel like that translates for for everyone in a creative field everything 100 yep. man you can have the best pictures in the world and i might see it on youtube or instagram or something and be like whoa that looks fucking cool right i might now get my attention right that's a good thing. But then if I jump in and I'm like, this sounds absolutely awful. I will make sure that I never get tricked by these pictures yep. again. It doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't matter. And it's, it's like that in every stage of it. Like it's just, you have to have self-awareness and then like also suck in feedback from everyone, good and bad to understand where yep. you're at and try to figure out like, what is it? Where, where's the spot that like, I really need to invest that in to keep the machine yep. running. Like for sure. Dude. Yep. And that, and that go that goes for us too. Like we have to invest in the right things where, you know, my buddy, yep. John, who works here, he told me, he was like the most, the two most important things a producer or a mix engineer can invest in are your speakers and your chair, because you use those two things more than anything else. So, so wow. it's, it's Such super sick point. to like buy, you know, buy a new preamp or buy a new compressor, buy a new mic. But, you know, if you're going home with back problems every day, like I was for years, address that yeah if you're listening to you know what you're mixing on 
in a subpar room or on subpar speakers. And that's the whole thing. Like that's, that's, you see so many memes about it, like people mixing songs and then going out to check it in their car. Like we all did that for years, but you eventually figure out like your mixing environment, you get used to it and you invest in it. And then everything else gets easier. Like I don't really have to do car checks anymore. Like I get ear fatigue and I'll listen to something on the way in the next day and be like, Oh, I was tired when I was pushing that up. So I'll tweak that. But there's no like, yeah, there's no listening to a mix the next day and being like, I have to start over, but it, I'm it, still there. It, I've still got like some monitors that I had forever ago and I'm still like, all right, I'm going to go listen in my truck <laughs> on my Apple headphones yep. on my, uh, whatever. And it works, but it's like, it's definitely, uh, you know, a band aid. It's, it's a tough hurdle to get over too, because you know, and it, it, like we were talking about before, knowing what's more important than the other. Like, I think having good speakers is just as important as having a well-treated room. Because I've I've worked mm-hmm. on great speakers in a less than ideal room. I see like a minimalist... Um I see like a minimalist Kevin sitting in a uh, like a wooden chamber in the middle of the room and it's just a two input interface or like a one input like a you know Apollo or yep. something and then the <laughs> it's been done and you know when the whole when the covid thing started and we all like it was like mandatory stay at home order I brought a lot of my stuff home um and I spent a month just working on stuff there yeah where the studio I mix in is obviously very well treated, very accurate. And it, you take, you take it for granted when all of a sudden I have like my nice Genelex that I like saved and like scrounged for. And then I put them in my living room and I was like, this sucks. Like, this is not, this is not the same. So I think, yeah. So I think each one of those kind of goes hand in hand. Like one is not better than the other. And they're both very much dependent on the other. Right. Like, the chair it's like you legit could go to absolutely anyone and try to start a conversation with be like dude i just got a new chair and they were like i couldn't not want to ask you questions about that more <laughs> there's nothing that i could possibly do to not carry this conversation yep. forward even like your friend from like 15 years ago that like just fucking misses you and you're like dude i got a new chair today and they're like i don't care about that. I do not be le- tell couldn't me that. be less interested there's in like, that. Dude, there's no one that you can even be like in, and, and like us engineers, we might actually be pumped on it. Like we might actually research the shit out of right. that chair and like get the chair and be like, dude, it's fucking, <laughs> it's like, it has the perfect thing for my back. <laughs> I've been sitting here for eight hours and like, and you're like seriously pumped and you, you could probably like, maybe I'll call you sometime. Like Kevin, this chair, I'm not even kidding. And you're like, I'm be so hyped and I call like, dude or me on the phone for an hour. <laughs> But it's just not flashy at all. But it's like in real life, you look at like the long term value of it and like what's happening. It's like, well, I'm not going to realize it because it's going to take hours. But if I have this shitty chair that my cat sits on while I while I mix and he rips it up and I have no foam in it anymore and I sit there for eight hours a day and I turn into a whiny bitch. I will do the worst projects because I'm not going to sit there long enough. I will not be cool with my clients because I'm going to be grumpy. Yep. I'm going to like, dude, it just all of a sudden spider webs out and you realize you're like, oh shit. It was like actually like a wicked easy investment of like, if I fix that, then like I could have made the preamps and the mics and the whatever right. I had way better because I was just not moody and just did my That was the first thing I noticed cool. when I got the new chair because what, like my best buddy, Jake, he assisted under me for a long time and now he's like doing his own thing with hip hop. He would, 
he would hang out next to me like while I have a client and any client I've ever worked with knows that I have like a super short fuse. It's like my biggest character flaw and I work on it every day. Yep. <laughs> but like I won't even realize that I'm like That's so hard as an engineer, dude. man. That's so hard to have because everything that goes wrong, you're like, I did this yesterday. I, I can't believe that I, I did, worked on this three times yesterday. It's it's you it's know. less that for me. And it's more the fact of like, especially with bands I've had in a few times when they start getting in their head, it's taken me a long time to try to figure out ways to get them out of that because I used to just start barking at them like you're better than this. I know you're better than this. We've done this before. Like, stop fucking overthinking it. Yeah. And it got to a point for a while where Jake was sitting next to me and I wouldn't even realize I was doing it. And he'd be like, dude, go outside, go have a smoke. Like take, take five. This is too much. I'd be like, Oh shit. Okay. Oh. <laughs> so it's definitely like, I joke about it all the time. Any band I worked with like knows, like I have a short fuse, but it's cause I give a shit. Not that that makes a difference, but it does. Yeah. I think it does because then you can take it differently of like, this guy's not a dick. He's just super invested in what I'm doing. Like that. He cares that much that he's doing. And, and I think yeah. as long as you're not faint of heart, then you can take that. And, and it's like, I don't know, like anything, like I never thought that my coach for wrestling or something thought I was a total dickhead, but like he yelled at yep. me when I was doing things and I'd be like, and then I'd hear him yell at me. I'd be like, Actually, I'm kind of like not trying right now. <laughs> like I kind of need to. And mercifully, to I've, I've had right that a lot after a record is done. And when they get it back and they're like, holy shit, like, thank you for pushing us. Thank you for like making us not give up on it, right. which which makes me feel better. It's again, it's still no excuse for my temper, but like I do work on it every day. And yep. there's one of my buddies who lives out in Seattle. Uh, he's got a studio out there and he has this plaque that's in front of his desk um and i want to have one made i want to commission somebody to make it um where it just says your frustration is temporary a record is forever fucking do it again and i was like <laughs> i need that so bad it's very true yeah it's the same thing it's the same thing as like if you're ever like working out or running or doing something that and like you're at the very end of it and it's like I just need, well, it's not the same thing because that's not forever, but it's still the same thing as like, you want to just give up because you're like, dude, I've done literally 40 takes of this. Like, this must be fine. Like, yeah. I, I've done it. And it's like, yeah, but it's today, it's not fine right. though. Like, I hear you, but like, you are having a problem with it today and like, it's still not fine. Yeah. And I know that it would be way easier to not, yeah. but like, a lot of other people are choosing to not, yeah. and you don't have to be that person. Yeah. If you're going to spend this money and take and that, time. that's that's a huge thing I've started doing, too. And I never like younger Kev would have never even thought to do this because I would have thought of it as suicide. But there have been occasions where bands either hire me to engineer or they hire more often. They hire me to mix something they've engineered themselves. And I've had to tell them sure. I've had to respectfully tell them no. And I and I oh. list all the reasons why, because it's one of those things where, you know, that if you go through a session, you're like, I'm not going to be able to get this where I would ideally like it to be. Like the source material is so far gone. Like there's guitars out of tune, like the, the, the kicks and snares are flamming with each other. And it's like one of the overheads is distorted and nobody caught it. Stuff yep. like that, where if I get a session like that and they want me to mix it off to tell them, like, I don't feel comfortable taking your money to try and mix this because I know it's not as good as you want it to be. Here's yep. here's where it's lacking. Here's 
here's what your options are to fixing it. And like nine times out of 10, that results in like a super thankful band versus because you you hear horror stories of, you know, a band who wasn't ready going to a producer engineer, whatever it is, who was just like, yeah, I'll take your money. And then running it through the wash and then not realizing what the problem was and feeling taken advantage of. And I don't ever want to do that because I've been in younger bands that have been in that position and I wouldn't wish that on anybody. So it's a weird step to take, especially for anyone starting out doing this sort of thing or that might feel counterintuitive, but like know what you can do and don't be afraid to say no to something that's going to devalue what they're trying to do and also devalue what you're trying to do because your your yeah. name's going on it too at the end of the day. So yep. you don't want to have anything out there that somebody's going to reference and be like, well, we're not going to that guy. Right. And I think, yeah, it's, I've, I've had the same thing happen. Like when I was earlier on and just recording anyone that would want to track with me, like when I was doing free projects or whatever, and the worst feeling as an engineer in the entire planet is recording that, going through all of those hours, knowing that band, doing everything, and then them not being comfortable with releasing it because it's not good enough. Yeah. And that comes from either them being unprepared or you being unprepared. Or like there was a not enough communication of like, are we on the same page of what we're trying to do here creatively that we're on the same track for the vision? Yes or no? And then if that ever happens, like it's no one's happy, no. like no one's happy. No, everyone's miserable. Like the, it, it completely fucks everyone for like, like they don't want to even go track their song right. again. Cause they've just spent so much time yep. doing it. You don't want to talk to them because it's weird. Cause you're like, are we, I thought we were cool. Like right. that happened earlier on. And, and that made me learn a lot, man, of being like very transparent of like, let's talk about some songs that are an influence for you. Why are they an influence for you? What is it about that track that's sparking it for you? What are you trying to do with this? Like, what are you thinking in your head when you do this? What do the lyrics mean? Like just tons and tons of bombardment of questions. And also saying no of like, if someone has a genre that like I cannot do, or I've just not done it. I'm always like interested or fascinated with things that I haven't done. So I might be like, I'm I'm first, I'm going to say no, but, I'm, I'm, I'll probably be like, you know, like that's not something that I have a huge history on. Right. I think that it might be something that I can work on and it, and I would have a spin on it, like coming from a rock back, like a lot of the time it'll be like, say if it's something like straight electronic, Yeah. like I've been doing a lot more rap lately, which has been super, super fun and I'm into it. But like, if someone like comes with me, like straight EDM or straight, yeah like a DJ thing. Like I just don't have that background and I, I can do something with it, but it's going to be way different than like what a standard thing would be. And it's going to have this weird edgy gritty vibe to it. It's probably gonna have like acoustic instruments that find their way in or sampled in or like stuff's going to happen and it's going to be different. And if you want that, then like, that's actually really fucking cool. I'm excited about it. But like, if you're not trying to do that and you come to me and you're like, let's do this thing. I'll, I'll say no, because I'm like, this isn't the best thing for any right. of us. I'm going to come out. I'm not going to be putting out the type of person or like the vibe that people know of who I am for. You're not going to get the thing that you're asking me for because you came to the wrong person. It's not your fault right. and it's not my fault, but like, let's, let's find the right thing right now. And and I think that um that's for everyone's side. Like everyone needs to say no to like something that's not the right thing, despite what their, uh, 
I don't know, despite what their, what their intention is. Like it's, it's, um, not even despite it, just like figuring the right way for just, whatever, just that being self-aware, is. you know? And, and like you were saying, like, cause I'm the same way, like electronic stuff, know nothing about it. I can't do it. But every now and then it turns into something that's super cool. There's this girl, Alexa, her stage name is Plexiglass. She's from LA. I met her doing a collab with a, with another band. She did a feature on it. That's how I met her. And she is very like Regina Spector image and heap sort of vibe, which I've like never done. I know nothing about like that genre. So she approached me and I, I kind of leveled with her like, all right, so I am not in that world. I know nothing about it. So like we can do it, but just know that this is when it's what it's going to be. Like you said, it's going to have that 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 rock rough dirty edge on it and it yeah. turned into something super unique yeah so on occasion Dude, it can turn into happens. something cool if if someone's willing to you know kind of be a pioneer about it but there are instances there's a band that i worked with like somewhat recently um that when we were done i was like i don't know if i would necessarily feel comfortable working with them again not because i have any shame in how it came out like I love what we did I thought it was great but there was so much like difference on vision for it that ultimately yep. it's it's their song they're like I want them to be happy with it so I'm going to do whatever they want me to do but like yeah. I didn't feel like 100% confident in anything I was doing so just having that self-awareness to be like am I elevating this or am I just doing it to do it and that's that's a big distinction that a lot of people need to make Yep. Yeah, that's crazy, man. Wow. Okay. Well, so man, we've been um we've been hanging out past an hour here. Do you want to hit I have like five questions I ask at the end. Do you want to cap this thing out or do you have anything else that you want to tap into? We've been talking about like tons of shit. I think we covered <laughs> all the all the stuff I wanted to cover. We talked about the Lamb record, we talked about recording background state of the music i think we covered all of it so hit, hit me with the uh hit me with the old questions there so i'm gonna do something that i've never done before kevin i'm gonna do a six questions one question designed specifically for you how's that okay 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 ready you i can ready do that for this? i can do that first question is the kevin specific question what is the best secret order for Chipotle? i knew that i knew that was gonna be the move i knew that was gonna be the move all right so Here's what you do. Here's what, what do you do. What people kids. need to know? Listen up. Turn the volume up. Uh, <laughs> so you get a double wrapped. There's two things. There's two things you can do depending on your mood. I'm not so astringent that you're you're handcuffed to one thing. Okay. If you're going burrito we mode, got choices, people. Then you get a double wrapped because it doesn't cost anything extra, and why not? And if it's two wraps, two wraps you can ask for it double wrapped at Chipotle. Okay. Aggressive. Aggressive. Yep. You get a lot of stuff in it. You need a firm. You need a firm epidermis to hold that shit in there. So <laughs> you get the white rice. Technique is the least healthy shit ever. But I mean, right? Come on. Well, we've already chosen double wrap. Like we're we're, yeah, so we're setting the foundation. Well on its way. Uh, we're starting so white rice, <laughs> pinto beans, steak, and a good trick if you want to get double steak or any double meat this is the trick so you wait to tell them 
about your double meat order until after they've done the first scoop. And I've tried this many times. I've run my own experiments. <laughs> what happens is if you tell them beforehand that you want double meat, they're going to like <laughs> compromise their scoops and give you like a little two thirds, three quarter like bullshit scoops. Wow. But if they drop that first thing, a steak on there and you're like, actually, I want double meat. You called their bluff because you've seen their scoop size. <laughs> so they're not all of a sudden going to be like, well, a little extra. Like, no, I want it double. So give me a. Right. This is psychological, yes. people. This is no longer about. It has literally, actually, Kevin doesn't even eat it, dude. He fucking throws it out. This is only yeah. about, like, him yeah. being able to control the human psyche. Yeah, this ain't, this ain't like, kid shit. Uh, so <laughs> you get your beans, your rice, your meat. I like the corn salsa. I think the tomato is too watery. It gets everywhere. It soaks everything else. The corn is good. Uh, nice flavor. If you like a little heat, you can get the the dark red stuff. I forget what it's called. And then we accept it here. And then sour cream and cheese. That's it. You don't get lettuce because that's just taking up fucking space. You don't need that. Right. Uh, you can do guac if you want. I recently figured out that I have an avocado allergy, which I didn't know existed. Oh, that's nice to find out yeah. later. So my you know? second order was basically a bowl with all the same shit, but I get a bag of chips that you could dip in and eat it that way. Um, okay. But I started noticing for a while that like I got Chipotle one time and it had guac in it and my stomach hurt so bad and I was in session. I had to lay on the couch for like a half hour. I was in so much pain. And then so I was like, ah, I must have gotten a bad batch of Chipotle. They're known for that once in a while. Uh, and then I had it again, same thing. So I was like, all right, my body is just very done with Chipotle. Uh, and then on a whim, like a year ago, I tried it again, but no guac felt great. So I looked it up because I didn't even know you could be allergic to avocado because it's supposed to be like this superfood. Um, but apparently it's a very real thing. So I tested it again. I got a burrito, but I got like a side of guac and just tried that first pre burrito and it fucked me all up. So I was like, all right, I'm done with that. But that's the burrito. Damn. Double wrap, white rice, pinto beans, double steak, sour cream, cheese, corn. That's it. So for those of you out there, I will have that in the show notes. That's how serious I am about, about approaching this technique My here. Guy. If you go to wakingupfromwork.com slash show notes, I'm going to put in, obviously, uh, all the links for Kevin here, all the links for the artists that he mentioned in here, and then I'm going to list out bullet points of this technique right here so that that way if you're midline and you're getting nervous like you're you're coming up you're like shit what am i going to order i didn't think this through i just knew that i wanted to no more panic pick we got it people. We got you this is how they do thank it me then don't thank me now thank me then <laughs> man if anyone has a takeaway for the night <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm gonna try this next i'll, I'll probably try it next week i'll hit we'll you have up. to swap orders You'll have to text me yours and let me know what you get. And then you try mine. I'll try yours. Okay. Well, you're, you're going to be disappointed in mine. All right. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. I've been, I've, well, I've changed my diet up a, like a ton. So I've gotten rid of like a lot of, um, a lot of sugar and then a lot of carbs. Okay. So I just do the bowls. Yep. I do brown rice, which I know is still a carb people. It's a I little know, better. It's a little better. But it's, it's a little bit better and I can burn it if I'm yep. working. And then, so brown rice. Uh, I will usually do carnitas, even though I know that they're worse than chicken, but I do fucking love carnitas. <laughs> and then I will do, I actually do do 
Now, counter to your point, I do do the tomato salsa only in a bowl because it's not as messy in that, and I want the tomatoes that in there. That makes sense. I can see and that. And then I also do the hot sauce, too. I do oh, both. Oh, you double down. I All want right. the tomatoes. I want the hot sauce. All right. All right. Um, and I do do guac, but I do light on it because it, it's not the taste. The texture of guacamole makes me really edgy, and I like to eat the guacamole, but like I have to hide it. And if I find one stray chunk of an actual avocado in there, I will freak <laughs> out and I will, I will bail on everything. Are you a, are you like a texture guy? Life. Yeah, dude. That's I'm why, weird. No, no, no. I don't that's like weird. Everyone's got their thing. Too. Hands too. Yo, that's, that's like how to I am too. I wash things. my hands about 500 times a day. Um, mm. But my girlfriend's the same way. She's a, she's a big texture eater and she put it, because yeah. I didn't understand it for a long time. The way she put it, she was like, if it's too thin to chew, but it's too thick to pull through a straw, it doesn't belong in your mouth. And I was like, that's, that's a good way of putting uh, it. That's fair. So, I, yeah, it's like you're trying to figure out, like, what am I supposed to right. do? Like, what do you want you me to, to do right now? This? I'm trying real hard. Right. I'm trying. I'm trying to do what I'm supposed to do with what I have. And it just feels like you're telling <laughs> I don't me have the what tools I'm supposed for to this. do. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not equipped. All right. So. Uh, how about some like for real questions you want to get I, hit I thought with that some, was like, pretty for real but yeah let's keep it moving <laughs> dude maybe th- you're gonna see some correlations between kevin's uh chipotle recipe in life <laughs> so uh um first question is is sometimes answered through the episode but i like it pointed is what like you said that you've spent over half your life doing this as a career or doing this in, in a pursuit what made it so that like when you wake up every day out of any possible thing that you could possibly do on the planet, why is this the thing that you have to do? Like, why is this the thing that had to be half your life or more? So when I was younger, I never wanted, not that I didn't want to do it, um, but I had the dream like any musician does when they first start out. Like you want to be and you want to be in a famous band, call it what it is. The older I got and the more we toured, the more I realized I didn't like being away from home all that much. Like, I like traveling. Yep. I like going, you know, seeing the country, whatever. But my my desires turned from playing on a stage to wanting to be like behind the desk and doing it that way. And I think a huge part of that is ever since I was a kid, I was a I was a problem solver. Like I love puzzles. I have to fix things. I used to take stuff apart all the time and like try to figure out how it worked and why it worked and how to put it back together. And yep. doing this is a giant puzzle with so many pieces and that like satisfies something in me that I have to do. So I, th- I think that's the biggest part of it. Mm. And also making my own schedule is so sick. You can't beat that. That's true. Yeah. I always tell people <laughs> that I'm unemployable. Like at some point I always don't listen to things that I'm supposed to do. And then like yep. it unravels very slowly. and <laughs> I become a problem because I'm just like, let me do something more efficient or like, well, why would we do that if we don't have to do it to be like performing at the level that we're supposed to perform? Right. At? Why would I do all those that, other things? That, and it's just like, right. well, cause we do the thing. And I'm like, I, I, I actually look at the screen or like the phone or like whatever it is I'm supposed to be doing. And I look through it because like, I actually can't even right. tell myself to do that. If it's actually a waste of time and not performing better results or doing anything like i just right. am not even capable of doing it i like my attention span will delete 
away and not allow me to yeah. do it. And then I just don't get anything done totally. at all because I yep. won't that, do it. That makes total it sense. It kind of sucks, dude. It's like bad camouflage. That makes total sense. <laughs> so through the times, say you could take the lesson that you learned from this mistake, mm-hmm. mistake, right? Because people on here are usually really yeah. positive people and I love it. But say you could take the lesson that you learned from something and just like pop it into someone's head like with the same impact of going through something, what would you say the biggest mistake or shittiest thing like in your, in your time in this role has been where you're like, Hey, learn this lesson instantly yeah. if it was ever possible, but don't do this thing. Cause like that sucked and that I would have, I wished I didn't do that thing yeah. if I still took uh, in the knowledge from easily it. just not believing in yourself. That's, that's the biggest thing. There have been so many opportunities that I've missed in my life that may or may not have greatly elevated my career and what I'm doing um, because I didn't think I could. I didn't think I would make it. I didn't think I was worthy of it. I deal a lot with imposter syndrome, um, which is something I've only kind of recently realized in this in creative all industries, man. I, 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 I. Oh, I can't, I can't think of anyone at any level that I've talked to and I've interviewed so many people on the show and, and listened to a lot of shows that people interview. I have never found someone that that doesn't come up somewhere. And if it hasn't come up, it's because they weren't aware of it yet. You're not alone, man. Oh, that's, that's good to know. It's something I re I recently became aware of because, you know, I do think, and I don't think this is like anything wrong with saying this, I think I'm good at what I do because I'm yep. still doing it. Clearly I'm doing something right. But every time I start a record, I sit down yeah. and I'm like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I've never done this. And it takes me like a day to you be got like, it. you got yes, it. You've fucking done this a million times. You know what you're doing, but it happened. It happens all the time. So not taking a chance on myself. Like there's been like opportunities for mo- like me to move to New York, me to move to LA and I see other people do it where they're so close to just like putting that other foot off the yep. ledge and just diving into what they're doing. But it's, it's terrifying to do. It's so scary. And I see so many people put that other foot back on the ledge and fall into their safety net because it's what they know. And which yeah. I can't fault them for because I've done it. But like w- the worst thing that's going to happen is you end up right. back where you started. Like, so there's no shame in taking a chance on something because you don't want to, you know, look back however many years from now and That's wonder what you could have done different in this. I think so many people, like when I ask them yeah. about the, the, the reason why they do the thing, like the first question, they'll say like regret, like literally my fear is regret and their fear will just be like, I can't be, 90 and look back and be like what did i do yeah like why why am i at the end here and like that's how it went like that sucks and that's that's is terrifying dude that is my biggest fear too but yep um absolutely that was really good that's very good advice uh flip side of it more optimistic even though i think that that's a positive thing that you said out of it but uh best thing along the way like Along the way, what was the best decision that you made where you're like, dude, six ago, six years ago, me, 10 years ago, me, don't hesitate. Make that decision. Definitely do that. It was the moment that I left, the first time I left my parents' house 
to join Too Late to Hero. Um, that's a that's a whole story for another podcast. But it was a it was a very uh, what's the word temperamental part in my life. You know, at a at a very big existential crossroad as to what I was going to do, and I made the decision to join Too Late to Hero or try out for them. I've like I've had people ask me like you know there's no such thing as no regrets everyone has them that's a dumb 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 expression yeah. um but I wouldn't change anything because my situation I have now like I'm with the girl that I'm gonna marry I live in my dream town I work doing exactly what I want to do and Every single person I have in my life or 99.9% of them came from that decision in some weird, like fourth channel way. Like my girlfriend now was friends with a band that I worked with years ago at my old studio that I never would have started up if I didn't have Josh like taking me under his wing and making me better at this shit. And I never would have met Josh if it weren't for Jared, the singer in my band who I never would have met if I didn't try. Right. So I don't know what else to take from that, but no, I mean that, um, that pairs honestly very well with what you said is your, is your biggest mistake too. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's an infinite, I I'm a big proponent in the multiverse theory. Um, I think there is another universe where I'm in California and I'm a lot skinnier and maybe I'm doing more with music. Maybe I'm doing less, but that's not where I am right now. So I'm here. So I'm going to make the best of it and I'm going to keep trying. And whatever happens is what's going to happen. It sounds right to me. <laughs> not that my opinion is whatever, but um, it sounds like a good setup to me, man. Yeah, it's pretty good. So what would be, I've only got two more for you and then I'll let you go, okay. man. Um, what would be a resource that you'd recommend to the audience? It doesn't have to be audio. It can be anything like we mindset, business, music, audio, uh, anything at all. It could be a book, video, podcast. Like what's just a resource that people should check out that's been impactful for you or you dig a lot? Honestly, less of a resource, more just networking, like get to know other people because the internet is great as it can be and as much information as is out there there's so much bad information yep especially youtube love yep. youtube a lot YouTube. of youtube a lot of forums like i don't go within 10 miles of gear sluts yeah uh, oh god yep but find people that are like-minded who do the things you want to do doesn't have to be at the same level doesn't have to be higher or lower just try to meet people and like some of the best things that I've ever learned about doing this are from friends. So I, I always tell people and I'm going to word this carefully, not to not go to school for this, but I tell them if they're going to go, go for the first year or two, learn your basics, learn your things that a lot of us go way too long before we learn things about like, polarity and unbalance versus balance shit like that that does come in handy yep learn about that stuff but don't expect a degree to get you anywhere because i've had so many kids hit me up wanting to intern wanting to do this and that 
who just graduated from whatever school with an yep. audio engineering degree. Yep. Who know nothing but think they deserve like they think they're going to walk into a studio. I did this so I should get this thing. <laughs> right? I did this so I yes. get that. It's like a, a currency this, exchange. This I is have worth this the- piece of paper. Yeah, I have this piece of paper. Give me a gold record. And that's not how it works. This shit is a trade. This is no different than building houses. You have to do it the wrong way for a long time before yep. you figure out how to do it and do it well. And the best thing you can do, the kid Jake that I was talking about earlier, after I got, went through however many kids um, hitting me up with that same exact kind of syndrome, Jake came up to me and he was like, hey, man, I don't know nothing about this shit. I don't know how mics work. I don't know, you know, software. He's like, I'm a drummer. I really want to learn. I want to be better. He was like, I will come make coffee. I will clean toilets. I will take the trash out. I just want to be around a place where I can learn from good people. And I was like, that's my guy. Yes. Like check your shit at the door, know where you're at and you'll, you'll go far in this, in this sort of thing. And that, I think that's true with any art, any trade, Yep. like know where you're at and stay humble. Yes, dude. And honestly, that's like, I know that you were just saying like that you were just like looking back and be like, shit, I think I have like imposter syndrome sometime. I think that that is a sign of someone that's staying humble. I honestly do. And I think that it's still a good trait as long as you manage it. I think that yeah, that's a piece that's, of you that's staying. The tough thing. I, dude, it would be so much worse if you didn't have that. And you're like, I'm the fucking best all the time. I'm <laughs> always the best. Like, yeah. dude, you like, like for me looking at you, like that's like, I, we just talked huge achievements to me. I'm like, holy shit, that's such, so awesome. But it's like, you're not letting that get to the, your head. You're still having those moments of that. I think that that's all a good thing. That means that like, you're staying in that way on that. And then like looking back at some of the earlier episodes if people want to go back we have an episode where we talk about college in that way like we do really break it down that way of like should you go to college and in there i talk exactly on this thing because i did go to school for audio but i went there it was a state school i didn't have the money to go to a more expensive school not to say that i still didn't hit a ton of debt for going to a state school because it's crazy but i went to a state school and the studio wasn't great there but this, the, the, what the school did is it, it kicked the shit out of me for music theory and for my ear because my ear was bad because I was just a drummer only and I refused to do melodic and harmonic things. I, refu- I had to be cool. I refused to learn sheet music. Like I just would reject yep. everything. There I learned how to do like four mallet vibraphone, counterpoint writing, like all this crazy <laughs> shit. And that made me so much better of a producer. But I didn't learn shit from audio there i went out and got an internship i went and worked live sound i went and worked for uh or interned at a uh, record label i like went to all these places like during the summer weekends and nights because i wasn't getting that real life thing that like i i needed for like what do i do in real life here like i can right. know the polarity of a microphone but like am i really thinking about well sometimes you do but am i really thinking about that in the moment like maybe not but that's unfortunately this whole episode is about self-awareness is is like if you know that you need to go to school to get the results then go to school but like if you don't need it to get those results and you have these other infrastructures to get the results then don't go to school like right it's there's no there is no answer to like whether that is or is not the option it's literally like you have to know who you are what you need is like a dose of a medicine and then then go take that medicine and it's like yeah 
it's, it's tough, man. It's really hard yep. to get that self-awareness, especially younger when you're making those decisions. Like I yep. don't fault anyone for any decisions. It's tough. Oh yeah. You know? Yep. We all, we all make them last dude. The easiest one for you. Sick. Where do people keep up with you? Where do people go for websites or social? Where do they hang out if they want to see your stuff and, and keep up along with what you're up to? I'm the most uh, active on Instagram. Yeah, just Kevin Billingsley. Um, I have a Facebook page, like not my profile, but a page that I am dreadful at keeping up at. Um, my Facebook profile, like my normal, like I'm a dude, Facebook profile is a whole lot of fart jokes. Um, but I post some stuff on there. Uh, KevinBillingsley.com. I have a bunch of examples of work I've done. I try to keep it somewhat recent, but that links to all my socials and all that stuff. So. Cool. I try to be better about social media, but I'm not always great at it. I get it, man. I mean, I'm doing this thing to hold me accountable to do anything because I just don't <laughs> yeah. want to. I want to just keep doing shit. So, yeah, I get home from, you know, engineering guitars and I'm like, shit, I didn't take a picture of the amp wall today. Yeah. 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 Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm the same way the with time. like family photos like Meg and I, my wife, like we have like no we'll get to points where we'll like look back at pictures and be like, we haven't taken pictures in like eight years of doing shit. <laughs> and like, I think that's bad. Like, I think yeah. that people are mad about that. <laughs> we're like, we're like, Fuck. Like, that's actually an important thing for when I'm old. Like, I think I need to do that, but I'm yep. just not that person when I'm like out taking the picture. I just want to do it, dude. I'm like excited right. to be doing what I'm doing. I want to like fish or I want to swim or like whatever I'm doing. I want to just do that and hang out yep. with friends and do that. I don't want to ever even disrupt it with that. But also like right. I, I have looked and seen like segments of time in my life where I was like, no one knows that that happened. <laughs> and 30 years later, I'm not going to know that it happened. Right. And like, that's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> like, shit, man. So yeah. I get it. Well, dude, thank you for hanging out with me for almost like two hours on here. And dude, uh, thank you for having chatting. me, man. This was so sick. Yeah. I'm down. sorry that uh, I cut out a couple of times. I hope it all comes out in the wash. No, it's cool, man. We'll, we'll, okay. we'll be good. We've got my zoom thing to keep me on track here. So, um, yeah, thank you for being on, Kevin. Thank you guys for hanging out on Instagram. Uh, anyone that's new to this, I'm on every single Thursday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern at Dave Wake Up right here. We shoot these live. And then if you want to get past the mess ups that we had in the audio in the beginning and hear some good crystal quality audio, Tuesday mornings at 6 a.m. on all podcast platforms, uh, Waking Up From Work podcast. You can hear it as a podcast and I actually take the time and go through this thing and, and clean it up a little bit. So um, you can hang out there. But uh, yeah, if anyone has any follow-up questions for Kevin, definitely feel free to hit us up. Um, and yeah, thank absolutely. you guys for tuning in. 